Are you ready, Christine? Yeah, I'm ready as I'm ever going to be. Are you ready, Ma? Ouch. I am. Let's go. Let's go to New York City. 1937, New York City. Art Deco, New York City. A couple <laughs> is... <laughs> yep. yep. There we are. A couple is facing divorce and fighting over custody of their beloved dog, Mr. Smith. Particulars? We're doing the awful truth. It was released. Oh, yeah, I forgot that part. <laughs> just, a, just a minor detail. Released on October 21st, 1937. Um, the Particulars. It was produced and directed by Leo McCary, who also did An Affair to Remember, which we did. Mm-hmm. Duck Soup, which is a Marx Brothers film, which we haven't done. And we did a Marx Brothers film, but not Duck not Soup. Not Duck Soup. So we'll have to do that. And a little movie starring Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward called Rally Round the Flag, boys. Write that one down. He also wrote gags for the Our Gang series. And he helped cast and guided the development of Laurel and Hardy. So this guy's got some bona fides. Nerd alert, his directing style was very improvisational. So he had, because he would do gags for our gang and Laurel and Hardy, he was in with Hal Roach. He would do a lot of, um, he had silent film training. And oftentimes they would throw out the scripts that were provided to studios and actors and make it up on the day. So as a result, sometimes the finished product could be awkward and kind of rough, but the scenes provided freshness and spontaneity that was lacking in other mainstream Hollywood films. And there were other directors that did this, such as Gregory LaCava, Howard Hawks, and George Stevens. We have the writer, Vina Del Mar. She's a short story writer, novelist, playwright, and screenwriter who worked from the 20s to the 70s. Her Female scriptwriter. She could have made, made this story a little shorter. Well, remember now what I just said about Leo McCary. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, she wrote the script. His fault. Got, got nominated for an Academy Award, but then often they, he would come up with other gags and stuff. Um she, her parents were vaudeville performers, so she came up around that. She wrote a novel, Bad Girl, and the script oh. for the film Make Way for Tomorrow. Nerd alert, she, in 1921, she had the equivalent of basically going viral in June of 1921. Um, she placed an ad as a gag due to financial hardship in a newspaper, and the ad read... For rent, one husband. Terms, $5,000 a year. Qualifications, handsome. Lovely disposition. Great adaptability. Stay home nights. Beautiful singing voice. Wonderful ballroom dancer. Superior education. Vina Del Mar. And in parentheses, Mrs. Jean Del Mar. That was her husband. And so it went basically went viral because people were like, who is this woman who's renting out her husband? And the reason that she did it is she said that her husband was a writer and he writes lovely poems for her, but he wants to write other things. And of course, he can't support them with his writing yet. So 
she did that as a gag. That's a pretty great way to make money. Yeah, and think of it, getting national attention in 1921, it's not like they didn't have the internet back then. So for different people to pick it up was a big deal. She was a bit of a celebrity um, in her day. And she wrote about class in her novels. And it was criticized at the times, I think specifically Bad Girl, for its non-intellectual, petty-minded, restless, indolent, Impro- uh, poverty-stricken characters. Damn. Uh, yeah. It yeah. It's like so. She was very uh, much ahead of her time, and right. I, I wonder how, how this bad girl book is. I think it has to do with also like people objected because I think it had to do with uh, maybe abortion, maybe. Ooh. So. Oh, it, I want to read that. Right? Yeah, it's it's Who very interesting. Vina Del Mar. Vina. I know that's her real name. Del Mar by the sea. I'll put that in my Goodreads. So tell me how it is. Um, this The script is based on the 1923 play, The Awful Truth, by Arthur Richmond. They changed a lot of it, of course. And the play wasn't even really a comedy. Um, in fact, Lucy gets punched by Jerry in the play. <gasps> no. And there isn't a necklace. They, I mean, there isn't a dog. They fight over a necklace. Ah. Um, I was going to say there wasn't a necklace in this one. Okay. The director of photography is Joseph Walker, who also shot It Happened One Night. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, which now just makes me laugh after seeing this movie when mm-hmm. I think Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. It's a Wonderful Life and His Girl Friday. Nerd alert, he holds 20 patents on camera-related inventions, such as a double exposure system and zoom lenses. If you hear us snoring, it's our little Mackie, Mm -hmm. who's now a pirate. He was just standing next to me, like, asking to come up. Uh, He's not even asleep and he's snoring. Oh, I know. We know from his one eye. (laughs) (laughs) It had the editor is Al Clark, who also did Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, All the King's Men, and Lorna Dune, which I guess is a movie based on a. Blood came first, the cookie cookie? or the movie. Lorna. Hmm. So this is interesting. Just put that out there. The cast. It is Lorna doing cookies, right? There, yes. But I think, okay, I'm not going to say it because I'm going to be wrong. Yeah, it seemed like it was some sort of story that didn't have anything to do with cookies, just based on the poster. Uh, Starring Irene Dunn as Lucy Warner. She was also in Cimarron, Love Affair, and Remember Mama. I did a little nerd alert on her because she was born in Louisville, Kentucky, and she was determined to be an opera singer, but she was rejected by the Met and she starred on Broadway before being scouted by Hollywood. She was one of the top 25 paid actors of her time. So she was a huge big deal. And she has this quote about her later life saying, I never, quote, I never formally retired, but an awful lot of girls my age soldiered on in bad vehicles. 
I couldn't run around with an axe in my hand like Betty Davis or Joan Crawford did to keep things going. Damn. Ouch. Which you can say that is is pointing shade, but then it's just like she knew when to, she was just like, yeah, I'm just not going to do that. You know, that's just not me. Good for them. Um, as Jerry Warner, who was also in Bringing Up Baby, His Girl Friday, The Philadelphia Story, um, Arsenic and Old Lace, An mm-hmm. Affair to Remember, and mm-hmm. North by Northwest. And all of those movies that I just said came after this one. Wait, who was that? Cary Grant. Oh, yes. Okay, now Arsenic and Old Lace. Yes, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ralph Bellamy. We were watching. I turned it on, and Adam said, "Hey, that guy's from those movies that was watched." <laughs> <laughs> and I knew who I knew his name. There you go. And that's so astute of Adam. Yeah, you know guy. those that movie. Yeah. Ralph Bellamy as Dan Leeson. I was like, why do I know the name Ralph Bellamy? Why is he so familiar? He was in His Girl Friday. He was also in Rosemary's Baby, but he was in Trading Places and Coming to America. He was Randolph Duke. Yes. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. I didn't recognize him as being younger. Yes. But the name, I was like, Ralph Bellamy, Ralph Bellamy. So, wow. We've done a couple of Ralph Bellamy. A lot from what I've said. I did not remember him in His Girl Friday nor Rosemary's Baby at all. So we have Alexander Darcy as Armand Duvall. He is an Egyptian actor. Oh. He, yeah, he was in The Prisoner of Zenda, How to Marry a Millionaire, and Soldier of Fortune. Cecil Cunningham as Aunt Patsy. She's in Mr. D Goes to Town, Swing High, Swing Low, and this is for you, Ma. Kentucky Moonshine. <laughs> we have Molly Lamont as Barbara Vance. She's actually a South African actress. She won a beauty contest. And, you know, when we talk about, um, I it's funny, like, with South Africa and stuff has been in the news. And when they were talking about all, like, the different variants, I instantly pictured just white people from South Africa. Of like, I did too. Yeah, and apparently, like, we're probably in the minority. Oh, because there, there, I kind of feel like that's um, it's interesting how they're talking about this variant, and it's like it's from South Africa. Right. Uh, right. Oh my god! Like it's really. So now we have we've already dealt with the hate against the Asians. So mm-hmm. now it's going to be black hate and. <laughs> We were all thinking, you know, Charlie's their own. Uh, the white yeah, well, South Africa. <laughs> uh, I don't know, but who was traveling from South Africa to, you know, Europe and then travel? Like, if you look at all the different right. things, it's like, you know, I don't want to stereotype or anything, but it kind of tracks with Teeny and I are kind of on the right. <laughs> like, we suss this out. She was also in The White Cliffs of Dover, Mr. Skeffington, and Scared to Death. We have Joyce Compton as Dixie Bell Lee, Nerd oh. Alert. 
She's from Lexington, Kentucky. Oh, are you kidding me? So, baby kin? Baby kin folk? <laughs> we have, uh, she was in the 1934 so version of Imitation of Life, Mildred Pierce, and the Best Years of Our Lives. And finally, yeah. we have Skippy as Mr. Smith the Dog, a.k.a. Asta from The Third Man, which was in 1934. So mm -hmm. by this time, like, when Skippy... And when we did The Third Man, we mentioned how Skippy was just referred to as Asta, even though his name was Skippy, because he was so big in all the Third Man... Or the Thin Man movies. I'm sorry. Not The Third Man. The Thin Man. He was also in Bringing Up Baby. That was his next yes. movie after yes. this. Mm -hmm. Oh, that was after this. Mm -hmm. And Topper takes a trip. He is a wire fox terrier. Wire fox terrier. And those are the particulars. Well, we start with a scrapbook. And on each page is diff has different movie credits. And the reason that I thought that was interesting is because Christine's mom made an amazing wedding scrapbook. Oh, it was That's, beautiful. It's, oh, it's that just, was a pretty good. Yeah, that was a good scrapbook. All time. Beautiful. An all timer. Yeah, because this scrapbook has nothing on Rita Mae. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Then we meet Jerry at an athletic club using a sun lamp to tan his skin. He was supposed to have spent the last week in Florida. Obviously did not, but needs to fake it. Then he goes home, and we never know what he was doing in Florida. Well, he wasn't in Florida. Right. What well, he was supposed knew. to be doing Just in Florida? Business. Right. Bus Rich man Probably business. Business, yeah. Yeah. Business. They just, they just do right. business. Yeah. But we don't, we don't know, know what, what he kind. was actually doing that week. Well, no, he spent the week at his New York. Um, he spent it at his New York sports club. <laughs> which he is spent almost, the whole week there? Yes. It's in, it's in one of my reheatables somewhere. Because I was like, huh? He spent it at his, the sports club. Well, that opens a whole other can of worms. Like, was it the sports club his as base of were. operations as he was gallivanting with other people? Or was Thank he you. just gallivanting? And it was, a, it was the... an all-male sports club, so. Well, I, yeah. Okay. I just wouldn't, yeah. Just what kind of sports club was it? Because I was very prone to judgment. And then I was wondering, like, oh, is it like the mimosa kind? Like, is it more of a spa retreat kind of thing? Uh, they wore short shorts. Um, then he goes home with three couples, just going to drop home and have these couples for cocktails. Oh, yeah, and, he's, got, he's got Celeste. <laughs> and finds his wife is not at home and offers them eggnog as a cocktail. Now, I have that down as a negative, but I'm, I'm drinking eggnog right now. She's mm -hmm. drinking eggnog as a cocktail, and she is but happy. It's non-dairy eggnog, pre-made. With with a little extra with rum, delicious. Okay, I'm not mad at it. Some topped with some nutmeg and cinnamon. Oh, of course. I'm looking forward to it. Hint, hint. Yes, mm -hmm. my thought of bring some. 
His, although I can't have rum in it, but okay. His wife comes in with her music teacher who looks, if you watch Dancing with the Stars, looks just like Val with whom she has just spent the night due to a car problem. She knows he wasn't in Florida. He doubts her car problem story. They decide to divorce. But who gets custody of Mr. Smith? What could go wrong doesn't really fit here, but we're doing it anyway. What could, what go, could wrong? go wrong? It's a very good dog name. Mr. Mr. Smith, Smith is an awesome dog name. It yeah. is. Uh, okay, so people of color, we had Celeste. Celeste the was maid. the maid. We also had the Asian man who was, was he the, but was he Duvall's butler? His like security detail, something. I have to, I have to go on record right here and apologize to the Asian community for not spotting that as people of color. I apologize. Well, I, I mean, yeah, but also like you just accepted him as a as a person. I don't see color. <laughs> oh, oh. Oh, oh. oh my gosh! Oh, you're gonna make my head explode. Jeez, okay. And um, then I have Duval because that's an interesting segue into cast because he was played by an Egyptian actor. And they had a running uh, calibration going throughout the movie because they didn't want to make him too, what is that word, swarthy? Like they, they, oh, uh, yeah. And then when you look up what swarthy means, it means darkness. Right. So they, like too, yeah, right. They, gross. He, and he, and he was doing a French accent. So they, they lightened him up. And kind of changed the accent so it was a nondescript, just European accent. So it just made him European. Did they is, literally lighten him up? I don't know. But it is an interesting thing because the movie's in black and white. And when you're watching it, it's just, it's that thing of like, like with Cubans, how... And in cast, remember in Isabel Wilkerson in cast, there's like the chapter on the Cubans in America and the caste system because it's based on colorism. Right. And so, right. D- like the Cubans get, like get sit in the front of the bus and just kind of like waiting, and it's like you know to see are we allowed to be there, and nobody says anything. So then it's like, oh well, you've passed. You're allowed to to sit here. You're up that rung on the ladder. Right. So I think that that's interesting of where he was because he definitely and because of the improvisation, it's uneven. I think when Mm -hmm. he first comes in, you're supposed to meet like, oh, he's I'm getting like an other kind of vibe, like not with like not waspy, you know? Right. Exactly. And they were definitely waspy To, to the T. But as soon as I saw him, I recast him as Val Shmirakovsky. Looked just like him to me. Okay, other cast. Two women can't go out alone. They have to be escorted by a gentleman to go and get a drink. Yeah. I mean, that's like militant, like no fundamental 
is Islam, right? Uh, That's where you see that now. Yeah, well, we're getting back to taking women's rights away. So, um, uh, and then the aunt, the aunt, aunt, the, um, she, like, she said, well, maybe she would go out with the bartender. And that was like, clutch the pearls. You would go out with a bar. And then I thought, oh, let's see what the bartender looks like. But did we ever even see the bartender? I don't think so. So it was just beneath her to go out with someone who actually works for money. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole gone with the wind number. <laughs> now, Marilyn Monroe standing on the grate was after this, right? Yes. Yeah. So on it. You know, in all of our research, I never heard, hey, look up the awful truth and see the beginning of, you know, the wind blowing your dress up. And what a pair of panties she had on. Well, you have to think this is when the Hayes Code is in effect, but it's not. It's just now starting to be enforced stricter. Mm. So they're okay. walking that line. That's why there's a lot of innuendo and a lot of stuff in here where you're like, whoa. And it gets by on its charm and all of that. And you'll see like that that kind of stuff will disappear within a ne- the next couple of years because they really start enforcing it. I feel like that that bit, the gag with the the dress that that if we looked into it, it would go back into the silent film days because it's such a visual ah, gag. Yeah, it is. And you can see up women's skirts, which is just problematic. But okay, hey, that's entertainment. There was a boy in my elementary school. Oh, who? Oh boy, where is this gonna go? <laughs> in the this is in the fifties, so who even knows the directions this could go? I was going to say duct tape, but I don't even know if they had duct tape back then. Somehow attached a mirror to his shoe. So so he could look up girls' skirts. At your elementary school? Yes. And, uh, I mean, you had, we were, we had to wear dresses. We were not allowed to wear pants to school in the 50s. Wow. Which is why I wore pants to their wedding. <laughs> Damn it, I can do it now. <laughs> um, the dude from Oklahoma, he was totally like he was just again. Uh, was it last week we had the guy from, or was it the week before, the guy from the sticks, and he was. Um, you're looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. I just don't remember. Ralph Bellamy was from yeah, Oklahoma, he was from so Oklahoma. he was a hick. Yeah, and I, I have in my cast about accents, because mm-hmm. everybody in this movie has an accent. Cary Grant and Irene Dunn are doing their that transatlantic accent, which is just to me, it's like rich people accent. Exactly. And then you had... Um, but it's funny, because I'm like, oh yeah, that's a rich people accent, but then... It's just an accent and compare that with a man from Oklahoma who has an accent and how that reads as he's a country bumpkin, a hick. 
And then you have the woman who is doing the Gone with the Wind number. Yeah. And she's like putting on a Southern accent. So it's just funny how the different classes mm-hmm. peg the different accents. And you exactly. still see it even to this day of assuming that people, if they have a certain accent or a it's, certain way. Uh, exactly. Uh, other cast. Teeny doesn't have cast because she only has like three lines of notes. So. I like, not the biggest fan. Okay. But yeah. I think so. Yeah. I, I mean, part of the issue, the concept I love. Who's going to get the dog in the divorce? Right. They didn't but do enough of that. I, yeah, there was not a lot of that. And then I also may have watched this after a after drinks with two lady friends. We were allowed to leave the house without any men. <gasps> Clutch the pearl. I know. Um, you know, we were out there for a little while. We had some drinks. So it was, you know, I needed something. Maybe had I watched it with my full attention, I would have stuck with it. But uh, it didn't hold your attention. It it. didn't hold my attention after, you know, about four glasses of wine. And even though it was about settling who gets the dog in a divorce, because I thought that was going to be straight on. I know. I know. But I. I had to do the thing that I have to do sometimes and I had to do it with this movie where I'm watching the movie and then after about 15 minutes, I'm like, okay, now I'm dialed in and then I restart it over because it, I had to oh, get there was no restarting. Yeah. Me, yes. which, no, no. Because I had to get, I had to get used to their talking and their way of talking and really lock in because a lot of the jokes are super fast and go by really fast and a lot of them I didn't get until then I'm like reading up on it and doing my research uh, and I'm like oh yeah I remember when they said oh well that's funny oh I kind of oh oh it's I find that a lot with like Perry Mason as well I'll put on Perry Mason the old Perry Masons and that puts me to sleep and I'll watch a Perry Mason a week because I watch about five minutes and go to sleep and I get to the end of it and I'm like, wait, who did what? And cause I mean, no offense, but I have a hard time keeping all the characters straight of who's who I'm like, wait, yeah, that was a person who was murdered. And they're also the person on the stand. And it's just, it's just, there's just a complete lack of diversity in the cast. So it just makes keeping the characters straight. So they all look the same. They all look very similar. Okay. There's just a there's just very similar, and as you're like you're going to sleep, so it's it's just that very, and I I just laugh to myself. I'm like, man, were they smarter than we are back then? Because it's just a lot of like auditory information being spewed at you, and especially with like their accents and what they're talking about. It's you know. I'm, it's 2021 and this is 1937 and so mm-hmm. you have to just like dial into how they were talking in a bunch of like there's an Amos and Andy joke in it 
And so saying I didn't like it may have been a little unfair. I didn't give it the chance. Yeah. I so didn't give it the sober chance. It's okay. <laughs> You're allowed to not like it. And you know what? I waited until last night to watch it. So there was no going back. Yeah. There have been movies where I it I watched it and was like, I don't like, nah, not for me. And yeah. then you watch it a different time in a different mind frame under different circumstances. And you're like, oh, wow. I mean, that's happened here where there have been movies that I've seen in the past. And I'm like, wow, this was a completely I did. I even see this movie the first time. Right, so, right, right. there, yeah. And Aaron and I have disagreed on movies before. Yeah. Oh, this isn't my favorite screwball comedy, but I it, can see. It yeah. is not. The whole time that. Irene Dunn was doing her part. I kept thinking it should have been Catherine Hepburn. Yeah, but she was box office poison. <laughs> but it's funny, like we know Catherine Hepburn, but how many people know like Irene Dunn? Um, for my last bits of cast, I have how oh, when Lucy was faking, like she was the sister to break up jerry's romance now i didn't get i thought it was the the floozy again well oh I didn't wow get until later oh. yeah this is the white person saying i thought it was this i thought she was the floozy again i didn't get that it was irene dunn until yeah. afterwards that she came in and her whole bit to get to break up jerry and his new girlfriend was by telling the rich because Jerry is hooked up with an heiress, which in real life, Cary Grant did marry an heiress after this movie, oh, like really? like years oh, later. He like, was like, "Look, that sounds like a great idea." Yeah, so that's funny. But well, he, he married a lot, so he did. Um, but the, how to break them up because he was she was pretending to be his sister was saying how their father was wasn't wealthy; he was working class. Yes. And that was going to put the kibosh on their right. whole thing. It's like, so, wow. Although you look at Cary Grant and you go, I got money. I, I'll take him. Okay. Okay. Also, also for cast, I had Um, the opulence of 1937. I mean, there were definitely the haves and the have-nots. Oh, definitely. But that kind mm -hmm. of, like, when we get into nerd alerts about the screwball comedies, I did some nerd alerts about screwball comedies, and that kind of definitely plays into it. Okay. We are now to, oh, wow, nerd alerts. Yes. I lost my I lost my timing, but I'm back. 1937, guys. Okay, let's hear it. There was a lot of craziness that happened in this year. Okay, so 1937, we are pretty much smack dab, or towards the end, but kind of smack dab-ish in the Great Depression. So yes. that started in 1929, um, and I believe it ended... I think around 19, it started to end around 1939. So about a decade. And also the war machine was ramping up. Yeah, there's nothing you need more for your economy than a war. Right. So we had that going on. We had the great dust bowl was going on and that was severe dust storms. Um, mm. Picture 
Colorado, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, and New Mexico, where those four states converge. It's um, the High Plains area. It's interesting because the Dust Bowl storms were a, a contributing factor to the storms were that, um, you know, when we got rid of all of the people who had originally inhabited those lands and farmers came in, farmers kind of figured, well, land is land on the North American continent. And so they got rid of the deep rooted grass that actually mm -hmm. kept the ground where it was. Mm -hmm. And that's why the storms was like, Oh, you think this land is the same as the East coast? It ain't. Aha. The people oh. who used to live here would farm around the big trees and around those grasslands, but no, we're going to take it all out and, and get profit from all of it. Yeah. Oh, but also, also, they were like that was Comanche area, and Comanches mm -hmm. followed the buffalo, and they were on horseback and the plains. All that thing. Yeah, the mm -hmm. plains indigenous peoples. Ma, the Ohio River flood of '37. Mm -hmm. Did you it's remember huge. hearing about it? Yeah, One I wasn't alive then. If you, if you remembered it, <laughs> I was not alive, but I did. Well, you would hear about, about it. it from like like when you're a kid, older people would be like, oh, the great flood. And there were places on the buildings where you could see where the flood water had come. Yeah, it was mm -hmm. a million people were left homeless and 385 people were killed from the floods. And I'm it ranged. It wasn't more than that. It ranged from, you know, like West Virginia all the way through to what, like Indiana and stuff. Yeah, that Ohio River Valley. Yeah. We got the Spanish Civil War going on, which unfortunately, because of my American education, know very little about. Exactly. <laughs> I know there's a big Picasso painting, and that's about it. And I only learned that a couple years ago. We have Nazis or simmering, yep. you know, doing Nazi things. There's a war going on between Japan and China, which again, know very little about. Um. Franklin D. Roosevelt starts his second term as president. We have the coronation of King George VI and Queen Elizabeth, a.k.a. the queen as of this taping right now's parents. She's going to live forever. And, and remember, this this was because this guy, this dude, George, he wasn't supposed to be the king. It was mm -mm. because his brother, the older he brother. He was despair. Yeah, the older brother was like, nah, I met this American divorcee, and I'm all about that. And yeah, there's so much to say about that, but we're not going to go into it. But so really? Much. Again, we have Nazi simmering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. The Golden Gate Bridge opens. Oh, that bridge is old. I was going to say, the, the brother who was supposed to be king, he had... he. Oh. Um, uh, Nazi sympathy. Oh, yeah. So yeah. it could have been a whole different. We could be living in a whole different world if he. Thank you, Wallace the, Simpson. The man thank in the high castle. Wallace exactly. Simpson over there putting in some work. That's right. <laughs> um, Amelia Earhart disappears. Yeah. Spam is introduced. Uh, it's a, that's too bad. But I understand it fed a lot of people who, yeah, okay. To this day. 
the Hindenburg disaster, mm-hmm. which was also my first interaction learning about the Hindenburg disaster with the internet. When the America, what was it? It was the encyclopedia CD-ROM, and I put it in, and that was the the like the, from 1937 newsreel footage, and I would just watch it over and over again. And my grandma was like, "What that? What are you doing? Those are people dying." But I was like, "It's from it. This is real footage from 1939, and it's on my computer, and I just clicked on it." Not your mother. <laughs> um, we had that would be the black one. <laughs> so it was my interaction with it because I, I just remember she was like, "Oh, that's so like like I was mesmerized by it, but she was just like that was a a horrible disaster and tragedy." You were mesmerized by a lot of deaths. Abraham Lincoln totally obsessed. I'm watching JFK right now, guys. I've Hindenburg. Never seen it. Um, wait, there's the Titanic. Titanic. Mm-hmm. You were so involved in the Titanic. All the makings of a murderino. <laughs> yeah. See exactly. Well, the Hindenburg disaster was when an airship burst into flames while it was mooring a mast at Lakehurst, New Jersey. 13 of 36 passengers died and 22 of 61 crew on board died and one member on the ground died. Because that thing just went up in flames. I mean, that oh, oh, that's man. what gases will do. And also, I mean, watch it. Tell me that the way that, that just goes up in flames isn't mesmerizing. It, you know, except for the loss of light. Kind of okay. We have the first issue of Detective Comics is published. And in issue number 27 of that, that is when one Batman is introduced. Batman. We have shout out to William H. Hasty, who 161 years after the establishment of the United States of America becomes the first African-American appointed to a federal judgeship. So, you know, awesome, I guess. But then yeah. it is 1937, and oh, not not She's much going to go downhill, that. dude. Yeah, I didn't even. Uh, there's another movie that we did in 37 where I talk about the Scarborough trial because that also happened in 37. Here's one though that I found very interesting. I started to go down a rabbit hole, but it got too intellectual for my little brain to be able to. Damn, if it got too intellectual for you, I'm out. (laughs) But it is, I just thought that it was very interesting for the times. So Franklin Delano Roosevelt proposed a court packing plan to enlarge the Supreme Court of the United States of America. Yes. Because parts of his New Deal plan from that he wanted to put in place to try to get America out of the Depression had been ruled unconstitutional by the Supreme Court. And so he was like, all right, then, why don't we expand the court? Yeah. And it did not go well. <clears throat> they, said, they said no, and the Democratic Party lost eight seats in the U.S. Senate and a net 81 seats in the House of Representatives mm-hmm. in the subsequent 1938 midterm elections. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. there, like, that was, wasn't great. But because FDR ended up serving 12 years as 
the president of the United States, he was then able to shape the court in his way because he was able to appoint eight justices over that time. Yeah. And then we had Doofus, Orange Doofus, who was it? Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. So it was just very interesting because I'm like, oh, they tried to do that before. And then it's Mm -hmm. just like, oh, and then the like the unintended consequences and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, then, and I hate it when the, the people like they take the history lessons and then they like use it for their evil genius ways. And they're mm-hmm. just like, ah, damn it. <laughs> it's not the people, the visible people, you know, the people in your eye that you go, he's not smart enough to deal with any of that. It's those people behind him that are able to go, Hey, and then, and now women don't have any rights anymore. Yeah. So the top five movies from 1937 were, and this is interesting because I've heard of one of these films, Stella Mm -hmm. Dallas, The Good Earth, Maytime, Saratoga, and the number one movie of 1937 was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. (gasps) The High Hose. Yeah, The High Hose. The Oscars, this again, and listen to how many movies there are. They were nominated for best, at that time it was best production or outstanding production. We have the first A Star is Born, Stage Door, 100 Men and a Girl, which is... Whoa! (laughs) Okay. Jeffrey Epstein's Wet Dream. (laughs) We have Lost Horizon, In Old Chicago... The Good Earth, Dead End, Captain Courageous, The Awful Truth. So that got nominated. Oh, wow. And the winner was This Side of Emile Zola. Okay. Mm. We won't be doing that one. Yeah. So I can go into, or I can save it for the Tasty Nuggets of Screwball Comedies. It's up to you guys. Well, why don't we go on and you save that? Perfect. I did one dr- one nerd alert. Mm-hmm. Yes, Christy. On drunk driving. Oh. Because I was kind of surprised that that there was like you would get in trouble for drunk driving then. Uh-huh. Because um, everybody did it. Yeah, I just didn't think there was any rules about it back then. But um, the first arrest for drunk driving was made in in 1897. Oh. But that was in London. George Smith was a taxi cab driver, and he was arrested for crashing into a building. And he was sentenced to pay 25 shillings. What did he crash? His horse? <laughs> His taxi cab. Oh. Yeah. In eighteen so I don't know when the car was invented. Yeah. Mm. When were cars invented? So you can just... crash a horse drawn carriage. Oh well, yeah, and you can yeah. I mean that would be that'd be drunk driving if well, you're cars were invented in eighteen eighty five. Okay. Okay. So he probably had a car. Remember um, Downton Abbey, Mary's first fiance died in a car crash. Yeah. 
Very unsafe. Um, but New York was the first state to have drunk driving laws. Oh. And I think the first in 1910, uh, that was in 1910 when New York became the first state to pass a law regulating the offense of DWI or driving while intoxicated. Wow. And in the 30s, some states enacted drunk driving laws, but most were only prosecuted if their blood alcohol con- concentration level was 0.15, which is two times the legal limit of now. And how um, would they, I mean, how just, would they check it? Yeah. yeah. So there comes the problem. So the establishment of 0.15% um, came from research by the American Medical Association, which showed that a driver with a BAC of 0.15% or higher could be medically proven to be intoxicated. Hmm. Um, But in early DUI cases, most drunk drivers were able to be acquitted of the charges fairly easily because the prosecution did not have the scientific evidence needed to successfully convict drunk drivers by proving that their impairment by alcohol. And there is not the medical information generally available to prosecutors that tied drinking alcohol to driving impairment. So, like, they knew it was the reason, but there wasn't the research behind it to prove Mm. it. Um, And in 1953, New York became the first state to pass an implied consent law mandating that all drivers gave their implicit consent to chemical tests if they were suspected of drunk driving. And that's when they started, like, if you refuse to do a test to determine their BAC, you'd automatically get your driver's license revoked. Um, In the mid-1930s, there was something called a drunkometer. A drunkometer! Fluid to it. Yeah. Uh, So that was, they, they did have, they did have something to measure it. I'm trying to pull up um, the drunkometer. It's it's huge. <laughs> but then you could also remember if imagine a cop pulls you over and it's like, Roy, I'm drunk, and I know that you're drunk because we just drank together. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we were in the bar together. Well, it was 1937. I mean, prohibition had just ended. Oh. And the police were seeing a rise in drinking and driving, and yeah, they wanted it to stop. <laughs> um, and in 1934, a year after alcohol became legal again in Chicago, there were four times as many injuries and deaths due to drunk driving than in 1933. So in 1936, the National Safety Council launched an ad campaign with the catchphrase that, if you drink, don't drive. Um but then they were like, people were still doing it. Clearly, I mean, people still do it now. Um, so they came up with the drunkometer. Um, I'll send you guys a picture. Is it looks there a like picture it's... of the drunkometer. Yeah, <laughs> I want to see the now. drunkometer. It's Christmas writing itself. It looks like a science experiment for sure. Oh my God. It's like computers <laughs> in the 70s. And a balloon. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the person would blow into a balloon and the air would drop into a chemical solution, ah. 
and the color would change indicating their blood alcohol content. Oh my God. But wow. like, who's to say, you know, it's a balloon. They were using a balloon. Mm-hmm. Um, That's so the same guy who came up with the drunkometer though, he also came up with the breathalyzer. In 1954. Mm-hmm. All righty then. 1953. Sorry. Yeah. He was like, "This isn't. This isn't perfect yet. Mm-hmm. We're gonna improve it." Um. So then they were able to use the breathalyzer machine, um, and it was the first scientific test that allowed law enforcement officers to confirm if a driver had too much to drink. But the legal limit wasn't. It wasn't until the 1980s that special interest group, most notably Mothers Against Drunk Driving, Shout out. Uh-huh, were instrumental in lobbying for legislation that established harsher penalties for drunk drivers. But it wasn't until 2004 that all 50 states had set legal BAC limits of 0.08. Wow. 2004. 2004. And you know what? I do remember going through driving school. I, I thought I did remember going through driving school and learning, like, you had to know what it was for your state. Like, Oh, really? Not when I went through driving school. Well, you guys were just drinking and driving regardless, but <laughs> we had we had a nice little video with Green Day set behind like, the Green Day song playing about drinking and driving on prom night by the time I got we had Sonny and Cher singing about drinking and driving. Did you guys oh, have the... We had, like, a program. It didn't go all out, but I remember that some schools had it where it was, like, a whole, like, funeral thing. Like, and Oh, really? Yeah, but I remember we had a really big... Um, like, we all went to the auditorium and had a whole thing with like a whole like car and it was a whole video presentation yeah, of yeah. like all of the the dangers from it but i mean unfortunately you would hear uh like you know like car accidents and stuff so it wasn't like that was a, a point that didn't need to i mean it needed to get reinforced but you would also have hear about it on the news and see it everywhere Mm-hmm. You know, of like a teenager getting killed that was like your and age. They, they tow a yeah a car, a car. That, yeah that was in, in impact. Yeah, and, yeah, and you, yeah. And then you would see, and then kind of brutal. Yeah, if you and then when I got older and stuff in my twenties, I would have friends who would get popped. Like to me, I was like, all right, if if I drink, I'm not driving. Like that was just the the rule that I set. Um, because you would have, they would, how many drinks, if you're a woman and you had like, how many drinks could Mm. you have? But I was Mm. like, just like, I'm not good at math on the spot, you know, and this is before now Uber and stuff. I don't understand. Now you have it so easy. That's why, um, Dina Lohan. Yeah. Did you see Lindsay Lohan's mom? Got was going to had had her court date yesterday. She had to see how many, how long she would spend in jail, because of her most recent drunk driving incident on Long Island. And she, I'm like, damn, she's going to jail for 15 days. Like she must have. 
like this is not her first time but also right. why? like you're famous yeah you're relatively right. rich you can get an uber mm -hmm. yeah and it's she you... can get she can get a limo mm -hmm. but at, at yeah. the very least get an uber and if not get a taxi yeah there's just all of these things that we have now that we didn't and in the early 2000s and stuff when i was in my early 20s i would see like friends we get popped for it and it was just it's so expensive and you would just have to do all of this stuff that it was just like nah i'm good i don't i that is not i'm not a gambler and that is not a risk that i'm willing <laughs> to take so okay yeah i did not know it's been illegal since the 30s since i mean 1910 i guess yeah but it's that amer it's also that americanism of like you can't tell me what to do i can do you know it's the same thing with like seat belts like you know it's they masks. put yeah. the masks yeah all this stuff it's just like i'm gonna do what i'm gonna do and then especially with alcohol that changes your judgment so it's easy to be like what are you doing you're not but then she's and especially if somebody has issues and problems with alcoholism yeah uh, well you know. it's just like my favorite murder this week um Karen did mm. like people the, dying from arsenic yeah the green, clothes the green like, dye the green yeah. dye that they would use in Victorian England mm -hmm. to dye the clothes and like even after people knew that like they were getting like sores on their skin and like dying from it and even after and like the wallpaper like their green wallpaper was dyed like had arsenic in it and even after they knew all of that these people these rich people were like okay i just like won't lick my wallpaper or some of them just continued to wear the clothes and chance it like exactly because mm -hmm. I'm because rich. humans are stupid yeah well, yeah look because at, look at what i'm wearing i'm rich because they figured that if they were rich because they paid X amount of money for the, these gloves, that that means that these gloves are so well made that they did the proper sealing on them. And it's like, mm. or they knew that you're a sucker and you're going to buy these gloves because you yeah. think that we did that and you're willing to risk also, it. Also, another side note about LOL rich people. Have you guys seen the thing about the Chanel advent calendar? No. So Chanel um made an ad sold an advent calendar for $875. And inside of it, it's the dumbest, like it's like you know those dust bags that like if you get a bracelet, they put it in the little bag right, and they right. Mm -hmm. One of those, like just an empty dust bag is in one of them. And then in one of the things, it's like Chanel stickers. And then in one of them, it's like, it's all like, it looks like free giveaways. This one guy was like, it looks like stuff I could go around to the sample counters at the drug or at like mm -hmm. Nordstrom or whatever and ask for free samples for $875. Mm -hmm. So I'm not getting one for Christmas? <laughs> uh, yeah, no. <laughs> I'll just say it right now. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Wow. Oh, man. That is the history of truck driving and rich people buying stupid things. Yes. I love it. Yes. Bravo. Or Bravo. people who want to be rich. 
Because yeah. yeah. rich people aren't going to spend the money on that shit. But that's what, I mean, we're talking about a movie that's coming out in the Great Depression and stuff. So it's a whole lot of people who are have nots and they don't have anything. I and if you that. don't, if you don't have anything, though, like if you're super dirt poor and you don't have anything. I was thinking about this randomly earlier this morning about the like having um, the, the brand name stuff like Chanel, the Gucci, the Louis Vuitton, like all of that. And because I was listening to hip hop and just like name, and I was just like, huh, it's like, oh, and I was like, oh, because if you're where these people are coming from, they have absolutely nothing. But, and there are a lot of obstacles in the way as far as like the caste system and stuff. But if you have enough money, you can buy, like, that transcends the caste in that way of mm-hmm. like, the, you know, mm-hmm. like the, the thing with like um, Cadillacs and stuff. You know, well, I have enough money. I can buy a Cadillac because they will sell it to me and nobody can take that away from me, even though the government might make it harder for me to vote, even though all of these other things, I can have a Cadillac. I can have something nice and I can see how like people like it's easy for me to say, oh, that's just a like the Chanel advent calendar. Mm-hmm. That's a bunch of bullshit because that's nothing. <clears throat> but if you're somebody who has nothing, you know, that and you're able to get that and have that. And because somebody has said that this is worth something, it's a little bit different. Not only did they wear fur, they walked on fur. Did you see the fur rug? <laughs> I did. I mean, come on. Yeah, but that was that meant that you were up a uh, rung up mm-hmm. on the ladder. Yep. Okay, we are to reheatables. So I have some negative reheatables. Um mm-hmm. uh, 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 not Lorna mm-hmm. Dune, Irene Dunn's hairstyle. I mean that it looked like the mayor of something in the wizard of oz where you part it down the middle and then you have the curl coming out i mean no there was no reason for that oh. um, <laughs> i'm looking at images because it didn't register to me a sun lamp i it, had that as well the ray yeah. that ray gun you know in 1937 Hey, it's a different sun today, but that ray lamp. They're probably like cooking. It was probably microwaved. Yeah, they have no idea what they're doing. And then the extreme short shorts that they wore at that athletic club. I mean, come on, we were. I mean, somebody was going to start hanging out. Um, Okay, again, I have eggnog as a cocktail, but I'm I'm being won over. And I had eggnog as a cocktail, but it was only because of those who are lactose intolerant. And oh, but now came in dairy free lactose. Like I'm like, she hey. came in like a wrecking yeah. ball. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and then the women who were engaged but hadn't kissed yet. Loser. How can you be engaged to somebody who you have never kissed? I mean, that's what is what are they there? Isn't there like a saying about that about about buying the cow before you you taste the milk? No, <laughs> this should be, I shouldn't say this. 
Say it. it. Say in my it. current company. <laughs> You're allowed to say it because my trust mom. Me. My mom. I remember her telling me that you shouldn't marry someone. She'll probably not deny that this happened. <laughs> that you haven't like, you know, it kissed. Well, at least kissed. She told me she was, I shouldn't say that, but. Been intimate she with. She said that you should have. You gotta like, know you what you're getting. Yeah, because yes. what if then you get married and you're like, ooh. Yeah, this, this is not working for me. No, yeah. you got to you got to sample. Test the merchandise. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I mean, yeah. it wasn't explicit. I don't remember it being explicitly told to me, but I picked it up when I would have to go when my dad would drag me to the Macy's perfume counter and he's spraying me with all of the perfume. I applied that to that. I'm like, you got to test the merchandise. Cuz cuz he gotta was like See yeah. how it works with your metabolism. <laughs> yeah, he was like, well, you're, you have 50% of her, so I kind of need to see how it might kind of smell. So I'm like, oh, testing the merchandise. I got exactly. it. Exactly. That's a life lesson right there. <laughs> okay, those were my negatives. I'm not going to go because my only negative uh, that I wrote is going to be my LVP. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. I have this. This is just a negative reheatable because I'm, I'm just a hater, I guess. The life where you wear a glitter dress just to lounge around and read the paper. Exactly. But, it's called sweats. But I will say, I did love the way the light caught that dress. It made yeah. it like. That's why you see the filters now. It was those four-point stars just off that dress and the light hitting it. But still, to lounge around in? And may I may I piggyback? Dressing for dinner. As in full dress. Like, he had to wear tails to go to dinner. You had to put on a full gown to go to dinner. Yes, I, I'm, some people would love that, but we're just not that family. I'm not that family. It's it's like, are you showing up to dinner? Check your waist. It better be elastic. What are you exactly. doing? Exactly. That's why I have a pair of Velcro. No, velour, not Velcro. Velour black sweatpants that I can put on. They look pretty nice. Mm-hmm. And yet they expand as does my belly. Because mm-hmm. because priorities, people. What are you doing? That's I'm right. Um. Oh, there was a scene where the lighting was off, and it had to do with Irene Dunn. She was standing, and I just noticed it because she was standing, and I'm like, huh? The, and then you could literally see the lighting move. But then once I read about McCary being uh, such an improv guy on set i was like oh i bet the lighting techs hated him oh yeah because they were allowed to do what yeah and you can kind of see the the light just move and stuff um i have i i had as a bad reheatable jerry spending his week at a sports club but then i i had a question mark because i was like maybe it would be kind of awesome 
Yeah. It could be. So, all right. And then them all being embarrassed by Dixie Belle Lee's sexually, in air quotes, suggestive number. I was like, what are you embarrassed for? It's You're at a club. It's like, okay, it's not Cab Calloway, but... It didn't seem like it like, oh, you're dating her? Oh, she's yeah. the worst. Yeah, such you know? classism. It was very classism. Yeah. So, those were my negatives. So now we're going to positives. Yes. Um, there were there were some that I enjoyed. I enjoyed anything that had to do with Mr. Smith the dog. Yeah. Definitely. I enjoyed the dancing number. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. They said that they said that Ralph Bellamy lost uh like 20 pounds or something doing that dance. Yeah. Yeah. The um uh the hat routine, the whole thing with the hat cuz the hat was too big for him and then he realizes mm-hmm. this is somebody else's hat. Um uh, the Art Deco, Christine, I did enjoy the Art Deco. Mm-hmm. Cary Grant riding in front of that motorcycle. <laughs> I mean, that was priceless. Yes. I have the accents. I I did enjoy them. The Oklahoma, oh, okay. even the transatlantic accent. I, I, I dig. I don't know. It, it's funny to me. Um, early on, I noticed that there was no music. And then when I was writing this, I couldn't remember if there was any music. I don't think there was really that much music because there wasn't a music. When I looked in on Wikipedia, yeah, there wasn't a music like credited. Hmm. But then they would, they used, um, what is it called? Stocks, like a stock score. So I just thought that that was interesting, that there wasn't music at least throughout the whole entire thing. Oh, now come on, Christine. Look at what you got. (laughs) He's putting on a show for you. (laughs) As he does. But Christine just got a new eggnog cocktail. Yeah, brought to her by somebody putting on a show, like a little (laughs) Cary Grant over there. Um... Irene Dunn's hat game, specifically in the court scene, it looked like she was wearing a um, pair of underwear. No, the hat, like her hat, it went up. It looked like it was like part part of a, a painting or part Robin Hood hat, which I looked up to see what the name of the Robin Hood hat was. And it's called a bicot, a bicocket. The cutouts looked like a pair of underwear on her head that they then added the the like cock. Did you say? Yeah. Well, the you know the Robin Hood hat. Yes. That's called a bicocket. Bicocket. I'm saying underwear. <laughs> and then the bicocket. And bicocket, it's in there. But it was <laughs> like her. Yeah, just it was just wild. The hats it that was, she wore. It was that wear. hat was wild. That um, hat was wild. Oh, there's a scene when they're at the nightclub, and I'm watching this movie. You know, I made my cocktail and stuff, and Cary Grant like fiddles with something. It's something silver. It's on the table, and 
in my mind, I had to do a double take because my mind read it of like, oh, that's his cell phone. And I was like, wait a second. Ooh. It's 1937. That's not a cell phone. But there is an object. I It's probably a cigarette case. And it looked like an iPhone that was just on his table. It seems so like modern and like I didn't even think anything of it. Wow. Yeah, it was really weird. It was, it was yeah, it was a moment there. Um, when Cary Grant says that he used to dream about Oklahoma and how it was filled with magic, I thought that that was that. Like, I knew that he was trying to take the piss out of the guy because um, I'm skeptical of any place where they made indigenous people walk to because they said, here, this is what you can have. This you is know, yeah, you know, it's not the best. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, that somebody who surveyed it was like, yeah, it's kind of, I mean, it's all right, but like, yeah, let them have it. Then you know. Come on. Um, and then, and when I read done, there's that scene where she was visiting him and she picked up the phone and it was the heiress was on the other end. And mm-hmm. she was like, Oh, why did I do that? Oh my gosh. And he has to like fake and come up with this thing, and then the phone ends. And then she like it rings again, and she picks it up. And her timing of like she she won me over because she was like, "Why did I do that again?" Like she had she did have legitimately great timing, and that was pretty funny to me. Um, then that there's the elevator scene that I thought was bro. There was a lot of like clever things that McCary did in this movie where. You can see the rough edges, but once you know about the improvisation, then I kind of give it a little sway. So it was when the aunt, she's staying with the aunt. The aunt goes into the elevator. It's before we know Ralph Bellamy. He gets into the elevator. Instead of going into the elevator with them to witness this conversation, it's the classic thing in film school they teach us of show, don't tell. It just stays outside the elevator, and the camera goes up. It sees the different floors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then it shows the floors coming back down, and you already know exactly what the conversation was that mm-hmm. they had. Like you didn't need to see it; it was just this like nice visual thing that that was great. And my final good reheatable is this is the beginning of the Cary Grant persona. Yeah, he based it mm-hmm. off of Leo McCary, his mannerisms and stuff, because they had a physical resemblance to each other. And McCary would often like act out things. And so basically, um, Cary Grant, you know, was working like he had been an actor for a little while before this. And with McCary, he kind of just started mimicking and honing his mannerisms. And Mm -hmm. then we go on to see that in His Girl Friday, bringing up babies, arsenic and old lace. Exactly. And this is this is the thing that made him into an A-lister and put him off like that up level because he was the first attractive man lead who was able to do the physical comedy and as well and i read something about how somebody said about cary grant that the the thing about cary grant was that he didn't act like he was as good looking as he was Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that that's what made every his appeal to everybody guys weren't 
jealous of him and women wanted to be with him, you know, like that famous thing. And it was all because he just treated him. And I think he had a pretty regular, maybe slightly or maybe totally impoverished upbringing. Like, I don't think he came from money at all. Mm -mm. I know you listen to other films that we've done of his, like we go into it, but if memory serves me correct, I don't think he came from much and he just didn't act like he was a, as beautiful as he was. Exactly. Because he was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Okay, we are to quotable. You didn't let me do mine. <gasps> I didn't know you had any. And I wrote two. <gasps> okay, I'm so sorry. Eggnog. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Smith is a dog name. Such a great dog name. Yeah, it is. We met a dog named Pig today. That was a pretty good one, too. That's Mm. a good one. Mm. Pig. (laughs) Now we are to quotables. Now we can move on to quotables. I will allow it. Thank (laughs) you. What wives don't know won't hurt them. (laughs) I like this one. No one can ever accuse you of being a great lover. Ooh. Ouch. I don't need an escort to get a drink. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, that just might no, send me. Do not. Yeah, that's our family motto. <laughs> yeah. And if it gets dull, you can always go to Tulsa. <laughs> oh, that was <laughs> funny. Oh, that was so good. Well, I guess a oh, well, I guess a man's best friend is his mother. Oh. Uh. Ouch. And then glass of sherry? Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I never got my bottle of sherry that I was going to try. Yeah, no. I loved her. Glass of sherry? Uh. Excuse me, <laughs> gonna go talk to the bartender. I had, jeez, the light turned off. Um, I don't mean to be rude, but may I have a drink? I had three or four before I left, before I got here, but they're beginning to wear off, and you know yes. how that is. <laughs> yes, and I do. Mm-hmm. Yes. That was my only quotable. Oh, well done. I have a lot. I have when the aunt said four is a crowd and Cary Grant says, that's only what she says. <laughs> um, then I have a couple of like my note style quotes that I just wrote down. So the, I always say, uh, oh, when Cary Grant, the Armand guy was talking about something and he said, never been caught, huh? Because he was implying that, because he thought that they were really having an affair, like you know, this whole thing was a charade, and he and so he's like, "Oh, you have a lot of students, and you're very well." It's like, "Oh, we've never been caught." Um, and then so when Dixie, the Dixie Bell lady that he's dating, Carrie Grant goes, "How long you been talking like Amos and Andy?" Yeah, which remember because last week. So then I had to go down a bit of a rabbit hole because last week we had Alvin Childress and Anna LaCosta 
and he was in the television show, but that show... Amos and Andy. Yes. Right, the Amos and Andy show. Amos and Andy, the TV show. Okay, so Amos and Andy's been a... was like a thing for a really long time. An institution. It was a nightly radio serial from 1928 to 1943. And then it was a weekly situation comedy from 1943 to 1955. And then it was a disc jockey program from 1954 to 1960. And it was a TV show from 1951 to 1953, and that's when Alvin Childress was in it. And then it was syndicated TV show from 1954 to 1966. So when he's talking about the Amos and Andy, he's referring to the radio show, which was huge and big, and that was by white guys. It was yes. created and performed yes. and everything by white men about black people in Chicago and then in Harlem. So it, that line didn't make me laugh, though. And he was like, so how long you've been talking like Amos and Andy? Because I was like, damn, she is, though. Yeah. Um, when he says, if you ever think of me, send a postcard. <laughs> It just made me laugh. And, oh, referring back to the when they were all like, oh, I can't believe this woman and the dance that she did. I think it's Irene Dunn says, I guess it was easier to, for her to change her name than for her whole family to change theirs. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. That was a great line. Yeah. And then I thought it was a great line at the, at the end. There was a couple of great things. When Irene Dunn says, it's funny that everything's the way it is on account of the way you feel. Because the whole reason that they're getting divorced is weird because she knows that he's unfaithful and I guess she's cool with it, but they're getting divorced because he thought that she was unfaithful with the music teacher. And it turns out that she was no legitimately taking music lessons and so then he says until the tables are turned Mm -hmm. right but then it's interesting because at the beginning he was all like i hope she goes out and has enjoys herself and has a little fun but not too much fun right well not that kind of fun so then i thought like the last lines were great because he goes things are different except in a different way you're still the same only i've been a little only i've been a fool well, I'm not now, so as long as I'm different, don't you think that, well, maybe things could be the same again, only a little different, huh? Because I, I just like the, like, the even though the ending is clunky, I just like the whole things. It was just things, and it was like, well, that's your thing, and you're mm-hmm. doing that. And then it's like, well, no, well, things are different, but what if things are really the same, but now they're really different because I'm really different, but we can go back to being the way that things were the same. So I can go back to being with whatever women I want to, but you need to be faithful to me. I didn't read it as that. I read it as he was, well, that's just the optimist in me, I guess, was that he realized that he liked being, because this is one of the comedies of remarriage. So he realized that he really was in love with her and he had been a fool by cheating with all these other women. Okay. All righty then. Well, we are to LVP. My LVP is the mother-in-law. 
Hmm. Which mother-in-law? Um, the the future mother-in-law of Irene Dunn, Ralph Bellamy's mother. Oh, the oil mother-in-law, the Oklahoma mother-in-law. Right, who felt that she needed to insert herself into the entire relationship because she thought he, the mother-in-law thought that Irene Dunn was the gold digger, whereas Irene Dunn was just looking for anybody other than her husband who she really loved. But. She wasn't wrong, though, in her suspicion of Irene Dunn. I mean, her reasons for of being like, oh, she's a promiscuous woman. But ultimately, Irene Dunn was not in love with Ralph Bellamy's character, with her son. You're not going to change my mind. I know that. That's fair enough. <laughs> my mother-in-law is always wrong. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Oh, Ain't that the truth? <laughs> you dug your hole that one day. That's right. Um, we really do love my LVP. Mother-in-law. I'm just kidding. It's <laughs> the um, letting the dog choose who. Because our dogs would totally choose Adam. Oh no, Teeny! We were in that situation. They would 100 run that. to him. I, no, I, did I thought that. that no, but I thought that you would already know that, and you would do what Irene Dunn did, and you would have all have their the favorite toy. So it would wouldn't matter. That wouldn't matter. I don't think that would. Because he doesn't know which is their favorite toy. You know which is their favorite toy. Like, I knew, like, you would outsmart, like, you were like, ah, and you would have, like, you would just have a side of bacon on you. That's and just right. That's what happens in the movies. Oh. Yeah. Okay, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. I did think of you at that time. I did, too, but I thought of you as being triumphant, because I was like, oh, she would know exactly what to do. She would mm-hmm. be like that. I have... I remember when her she calls her lawyer and the lawyer picks up the phone and then his wife mm-hmm. is in the doorway. Mm-hmm. And, okay, so I had that as as the way that he was talking to his wife as my LV, like him. But then I mm-hmm. read that that was what audiences, when they had the test screenings, that they cracked up over was like the third time when he was just like, just lets her have just it. Just shut up. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I, I could see how that would be funny if I was in a marriage and just like, just that third time of like, you, you, you know, you've just had it, but I put it as my LVP because of just the times. And I, it would have been funnier if her lawyer was the woman and like it was a gender reversal mm-hmm. just because mm-hmm. of the times it just made it seem like you dumb woman let yeah. me alone yeah oh. once you marry him then they become a hag y- you know? yeah i didn't yeah. and maybe that's like because i'm not married so i didn't i just went to the gender roles of it of like this man is just being disrespectful yeah it Whereas was, the yeah. marriage part of it, I can see how that would be funny of just like these two, like, you know, I don't know what their relationship is like. And it, right, could the be juxtaposition, amazing. he's telling her how wonderful marriage is. while his reality is this fucking sucks. Mm-hmm. Okay. MVP. 
I'm waiting for my part, Christine. I'm waiting for the mother-in-law to be your MVP. My, I have an honorable mention, <laughs> Ralph Bellamy being a dork. Cause I yeah. feel like he usually was like, you know, the in control dude. Um, I have an honorable mention because my MVP the whole time was Cary Grant, but he's an honorable mention now because my MVP is Mr. Smith. Mm -hmm. My mine MVP too. is Mr. Yeah. Smith. And I, mine. I mean, he, he came through when he needed to come through, didn't he? Oh, the name, perfection. Mr. Smith. Yep. The acting. The custody battle. Yeah. The visitation arrangements that they exactly. have. Exactly. When he was growling at, at Ralph Bellamy's character. And yep. my favorite, how absolutely adorable he was when he was doing his hide and seek. Yes. He would get up on the chair and, yes. and hide. It was and so <laughs> cute. I was like, oh, Mr. Smith. And he had two eyes to find who was hiding. Yes, but apparently he wasn't that easy to work no, with. No, because evidently he nipped at Cary Grant a few times. And he would oh. he wouldn't jump up into Cary Grant's arms though, like the way that they wanted them to. Then or that means must, that Cary Grant must not have been such a good person as everyone thinks. Well, there you go. Hmm, interesting. Dogs know. Hmm. Okay, we are to recasting. So I do have uh, three recastings, but I only did Jerry and Lucy. Okay. I've already done Val Schmierkowski as the voice teacher. Right. So my original one, <clears throat> Lucy is Kiki Palmer, and Jerry, Jerry has to be able to do a lot of physical comedy is Jamie Foxx. Oh, that's a good one. Then I went the insecure route and did Issa Rae and Lawrence. J something. Because J. Ellis, I yeah. believe. Because they would be great. I mean, Issa Rae would be great with her. Oh, Issa Rae would be great. Yeah, you're welcome. Ooh. And then I went with are two Reginas Whoa. and have it as same, both Reginas as a same sex couple. Who are you? Who are you casting as it Carrie Grant? Uh, it doesn't matter. There's just so good. I'm, I'm going Regina King is Lucy and Regina Hall is, is Carrie Grant, but it, it doesn't matter. They could, they could twist it around however they wanted to. That's what you get with the Queen Reginas. That's right. Deanie, did you have a recasting? I sure did not. Well, I really like your Issa Rae as uh -huh. Irene Dunn. I, I think that too. she is like, I was like, oh, yeah, she would be great. So props to you. I only did one cast for Lucy. I did Carrie Washington. Mm -hmm. And for Jerry, I did Jonathan Majors. Help me out, Jonathan Majors. He was in The Harder They Fall. He was in the the um the Bloods, the Five Bloods with Spike oh, okay. Lee. He was the son. 
He was in Lovecraft Country. You've seen him. He's been in a lot of things. He was in Loki. Okay, got it. He was it. on Saturday Night Live yes, a couple yes, weeks yes, ago. Yes. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, great. Yeah. He's really good. It's hard to figure out a Cary Grant in these times. In these times, it is. I sort of feel like me, like uh, Chris Helmsworth. Remember when he was in Ghostbusters? Because he was, really he was so good at being a total dork yeah. in Ghostbusters, not even knowing the gorgeousness that was before us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's so. what you have to have. Somebody who can just go back to their dorky days. Because everybody had some dorky days. Yeah, their awkwardness. Everybody had some And then I thought, days. so I guess my second cast would be Chris Helmsworth. And then when I was watching Irene Dunn, I was trying to like, who would be a, an Irene Dunn for this age? And I was like, you know what? Maybe Kristen Stewart. So Chris Helmsworth and oh, Kristen okay. Stewart. That's given her some, I think that she deserves those props. She's been in. She's done some comedy stuff. I want to see the. I want to see her in as Diana. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Um, yeah, and you know who else is Kristen? Bell. Yeah, she's really good at. Yeah, like, yeah. But that was a thing with Irene Dunn was that she kind of got typecast in the comedy, and that people said that. She never won an Academy Award. She was nominated a number of times for mm-hmm. Best Actress. That she was super versatile mm-hmm. as far as acting could go. And then I could kind of see when I thought back to this movie, I could kind of see it. Like her when she was doing the singing scene, mm-hmm. that whole thing was improvised. Mm-hmm. Like Ralph Bell, they the McCary said, "Hey, can you sing to Ralph Bellamy?" And he was like, "I cannot carry a tune." And he was just like, "Oh, you know, just." Just do do your best for it. Right. Do your and, thing. Yeah. And then, you know, you find out that What's-Her-Face wanted to be a whole opera singer and train for that. So that's why she has the pipes for it. And they he just rolled and he was just dying laughing. And Irene Dunn was mad. She was just like, ah. Oh. But that's what ended up in the film. So mm-hmm. that's, that was just the way that the guy worked. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Tasty Nuggets. There was a 1929 film that was presumed lost Mm. of this. Mm. Then they made it in 1937. And then in 1953, they made it again called Let's Do It Again with Jane Wyman, who was Ronald Reagan's first wife. Oh, yeah. And Ray Milland's. I Have Much of It Was Improvised. During production, the human cast had unscheduled days of vacation off because Mr. Smith, the dog, had other obligations. Yeah, he was booked oh, on he's something. He's a busy man. Yeah, he had to go be, uh, you know, Skippy. the great dog in other films. Yes. Is that all you had? That is what I have. Teeny, did you have any tasty nuggets? No, sure did not. That's no problem. Do you all want to know about screwball comedies? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm not sure what please. they are. Okay. So screwball comedies are a subgenre of romantic comedies, and they were popular during the Great Depression, which was from 1929 to about 1939. So Arsenic and Old Lace would be a screwball comedy. I believe so. 
The films were popular throughout the early 30s with an emphasis on funny spoofing of love. It wasn't like the romantic. It was often spoofing it. They were fast-paced, overlapping conversations, farcical situations, Uh often often escapist themes. Yeah, because you want to escape your reality. I wonder why. Mm-hmm. Because it's like the Great Depression. Everybody has the, like, oh, uh, and they would um, the secondary characteristics. I thought this was interesting. Were similar to film noir, except the woman dominates the relationship with the main male oh. character, whose masculinity is questioned. Oh. Mm-hmm. There was often like a visual battle of the sexes. Uh-huh. They occurred in all different classes. So remember, we had oh. it happened. It happened one night. Uh huh. And then we also had my man Godfrey. Uh huh. And it also came out of the studio's need to um, avoid increasing enforcement of the Hayes Code. Okay. So they would come up with these, you know, people just that are down on their luck. Who cares if it doesn't completely make sense? We want to mm-hmm. see all different kinds. If it's rich people, we want to see these rich people having troubles and being in trouble because mm-hmm. you know they're rich. And they we're may not. have on furs and walk on furs, but they are not completely happy. Right. And then this movie was a subgenre of the subgenre of screwball comedy. Oh, shit. Which was the comedy of remarriage. Oh, so silly. Mm -hmm. Because remember, so there was this movie, and then remember when we did the Philadelphia story? Uh Uh-huh. How that was a... And so there were those movies of that. And there was another movie, I think, that we did, or maybe it was the Philadelphia story, where it's a comedy of remarriage, where Uh they were were a couple, or they were divorced, Uh and then they get back together. So that feel, was like yeah. a thing. Yeah. So that's screwball comedies. Um, this Irene Dunn, this was the first of three films that Irene Dunn and Cary Grant starred in together. They were also in My Favorite Wife and Penny Serenade. Oh. Irene Dunn never won an Oscar, but <laughs> Cary Grant said, quote, she would have won an Oscar, you know. She would have won, too, but she was so good. Her timing was so marvelous that she made comedy look easy. If she'd made it look as difficult as it really is, she'd have won. Hmm. Oh. So that was interesting. Um, Gr- Cary Grant didn't think, at the beginning, he didn't think that this movie was working, and he begged to be released from the production. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh. all of them. Irene Dunn would, because they didn't know what to make of McCary's style. All of them are used to getting the script, knowing their lines and showing up and he's just throwing it out uh, and he would have a piano on set and just sit and tinker on the piano until he knew what it was that he wanted to do. And they were just like, I don't, what is this man doing? Yeah, oh my exactly. God. Yeah. Um, it was a box office hit when it came out it had six Academy Award nominations. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Best Adaptation for a script that Olvina did but was thrown out, Best Film Editing, and it won for Best Director. 
Okay. And when Leo McCary won this Oscar, he got up and said that he was given this award for the wrong film because he had made this other movie. I forget, it's something about like wait until tomorrow. I don't know. It's this other movie, but it wasn't a huge comedy and it was about the Great Depression and an older couple that gets separated based on economic needs and you know, it was just it was just too real. Like, you know, people were like, we don't want to watch this. This is our yeah, life. This is our living. Yeah, we deal with this every day. Yeah. But apparently it's actually one of those movies that is like, oh, this tells how it was in the, the times. Um, but he won for this. In 2012, Vanity Fair said it was one of the 25 most fashionable films ever made. Dunn's wardrobe was created by Robert Kalock, and it is, or Kalock, C-A-L-L-O-C-H, and it is considered extremely influential. Um, and the Hayes Code administrator, Joseph Breen, permitted the, like a lot of the gags in this film, like we, the underwear gag and a lot of the innuendo and stuff, because the picture and its cast were high quality which served oh. to undercut the raciness of the moments. Ooh. So. I will say I did love the very end of it. The the cuckoo clock. And a lot of people have it because that's the screwball comedies are notorious for their ending. It's just like, the, you know, they're just mm-hmm. antics, antics, antics. And how are we going to land this plane? And we're just going to crash it. So I thought it was adorable having seen many cuckoo clocks. I I thought it was adorbs. I did enjoy the ending. So I, I like this film. I didn't like it as much as bringing up baby and his girl Friday, but it, when I think back on it, I'm, I'm like, Oh, it did have, like good gags in it and stuff mm-hmm. and skippy mm-hmm. and it wasn't the best movie we've ever done it mm-hmm. was a comedy it was um for the ni- 1937 time frame um i love carrie grant i wasn't in love with irene dunn yeah uh, because i really felt like katherine hepburn could have added a little bit more but but was, maybe she made it too it. easy. Like maybe she, yeah. what she was, all the hard work that she was doing, she, you didn't see her sweat at all. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, she was able to I go. Would, well, I would, if it were on again on a Saturday afternoon and I was cleaning or something, I would give it another try. Mm-hmm. Understood. Because it is Just where you Mr. are Smith. at the time that you're watching it. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't have to love every movie we pick just because I picked it. You know, I'm not taking it as a as a personal affront. Yeah, you're not, are you? So she Leo, won't bring it up at all over Christmas. At, nope. It will not be. It will not be thought of again. No. Mm-hmm. Neither will the drought of North Carolina. The great. Water, <laughs> water drought. So every time you bring that up, I'm gonna. Okay, I got to come up with something. Okay. So what are we doing next? My pick next week, right? It is your pick, Christine. Okay. I was going to let you guys make a choice of where we're going. 
Oh. But? Well, she's like, I'm driving this car, bitches. I'm driving this car. That's right. <laughs> and unfortunately, I'm two eggnogs in, so. <laughs> I love it. We're getting eggnogged. I'm two gimlets in, so go for it. Hopefully the police don't catch me. Um, we're going, so my first. We're going to 1986, okay? 1986. You want me? I have and a I guess. Don't. Oh, go ahead. You're not. It's not going to be right, but go ahead. Oh, okay. Well, what is it? Yeah. 1986. Scrooged? Yeah. No. But you're on the right track with Christmas. You um, know, there was a touch of Christmas in this. I mean, just mm -hmm. a very touch. I can't remember what it is now, but there was a touch. Mm -hmm. so you, you guys have done all of the classics. Before. Yes, we have. Yeah. Before um, you chose to me, join us, yes. Yeah, I chose. Uh, let me give you, okay, it was, do you know of a man named Lee Majors? Yes. yes. The $6 million oh, man. man. Oh, I've never heard of him, but he's in it. Joan Crawford's um, younger husband in Straight oh. Jacket. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wait, then. Lee Majors. That's right. I can't give you the star because I don't give it away. Dan Hedaya. Hedaya? Anita Morris. And Bo Hopkins. Oh, David Aykroyd is the video director. I think he just recently passed away. The director of the movie is Henry Winkler. Henry okay. Winkler. The Fonz. Um okay. It's it's classified as a fantasy. fantasy. Um it's a made for TV movie. Okay. Aaron is looking up night 1986 as as hard as she and can. We talked, okay, it's going to go back to this, what you said the number one movie of the year was in 1936. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. What was it? Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? Yes. Uh -huh. So the plot of this movie is a country singer and a mountain man rescue seven runaway orphans from a sheriff and a witch. And the, apparently the seven runaway orphans are like the seven dwarfs. I right, don't know. The high hoes. This is and a TV stars, movie in the 80s, so this is wild. stars Dolly Parton. And it's called A Smoky Mountain Christmas. Oh my gosh. Where can we, wa can we watch this? I have no idea. I'm pretty sure you can watch the whole thing on YouTube. Let me send you the cover art because it's pretty good. So this is before when she put on the, the coat, the of, coat many of many colors. colors. Uh-huh. But it sounds like it's after, wasn't she in like the best little whorehouse in Texas? Oh yeah, totally. And after we did nine to five, that was in the eighties. Oh, wow. I mean, then they say, 
uh, a Smoky Mountain it Christmas. It was an American I mean, made for TV music, American made for TV musical fantasy film starring Dolly Parton and Lee Majors, directed by Henry Winkler, broadcasted on ABC on December 14th, 1986. So you were drunk when you picked this movie, right? I was on this podcast, actually. Uh, I thought it was my pick. <laughs> so country music superstar Lorna Davis is overwhelmed and disillusioned by her career and loneliness. She plans a trip to a friend's cabin in the Smoky Mountains to escape from Los Angeles and recuperate during the Christmas season. Upon arriving there, Lorna finds it has become the impromptu home of seven orphans who are hiding from the orphanage in town. They actually discover her sleeping in one of the beds, an allusion to the seven dwarfs finding Snow White, to which the youngest proclaims, I know who she is. She's the angel. Oh, we're going to have fun. <laughs> this is going to be fun. I know. Nice. So Nice and nicely Also, done. speaking of made-for-TV, did anyone watch any of Annie? No. Of what? Annie? They did the live. I did it. I watched it at the very end because I was watching some kind of murder something before that. Um, I love Harry Connick Jr. I love him. Um, Selena Smith was such a good little Annie. She was. I like just happened to turn it on uh, while before she sang tomorrow and it was so good. Yeah, she was great. I ooh, just dropped my phone. She um I love the um ethnic mix of people in it. Um yeah. I saw one thing though that were like, you know, Annie doesn't Annie could be black, like all these other things, but we can't let Daddy Warbucks have hair. Yeah, <laughs> what made him wear a bald cap? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't see it. Wasn't, uh, was Taraji P. Henson in it? Yeah, she was Mrs. Hannigan, the, yeah, the, the I... person who ran the orphanage. Okay, guys, I've never seen Annie. I just know, like, it's I've a hard knock life. So many times, I've almost picked it so <laughs> many times. I love Annie. I know, like, it's a hard knock life. Um, I always called it a hard lot life. The sun will come out tomorrow, and she's mm -hmm. an orphan, and Daddy mm -hmm. Warbucks. Oh, I yeah. love that movie. I've almost picked it. Next year, we're doing it. Okay. When I um, first came to, when 1992, we moved here, and I taught kindergarten, and I had this little girl named Kristen Garafo. She was adopted from Central America. Oh my God, she was the cutest little thing. And she has, she in high school played Annie at Hayfield. And then she played Auntie Mame. And I went to see her and I cried through the whole thing because here was my little kindergartner starring in Auntie Mame. But and then she, uh, every year she is in a Christmas story at the Lincoln Theater, the Lincoln Theater, Lincoln Center, 
The Lincoln Theater. No, 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 no. The it's Kennedy in Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. Where he was killed. What's that oh, called? Oh, the Ford? Ford Theater. Ford Theater. Christmas Carol. Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, what'd you think of the play? Exactly. <laughs> and she, um, she's been in other stuff. And I was able to go see her in something at Ford's Theater. Uh, you know, to see a little girl you had in kindergarten grown up and being on stage it's just incredible so that's and you got crystal and this you're just the teacher to thespians but i wasn't crystal's teacher i was the mother of crystal's crush <laughs> in elementary school but yeah so um yeah i remember watching her and annie just sitting there sobbing because here she is in high school doing this amazing stuff so um that that is my Annie, as opposed to a lot of people's Annie is Sarah Jessica Parker. That's where she got her start. Wait, being, she was the little girl in the show was, in the movie. She was Annie, no, but on Broadway. Oh, she was Annie on Broadway. That's where she got her start. So was Annie well, have like curly red hair? Yes. Yeah, a wig. They all wore a wig. Except for this one, like and she wore—I <laughs> think she wore a wig that was very much like your hair, but much, much darker, dark brown, black. But so, you could see when they did the um, when they did, she did her. You know, everybody knows this will come out tomorrow, mm -hmm. and you know they get—you don't know, you don't know the plot. But again. She and Daddy Warbucks are all excited because they got everybody to sing, whatever they're making change. So they're like excited and happy anyway. But it just you could tell she was like, she looked so happy that she got through that song and nailed it and like hit all of her notes. And I, you know, I love my Broadway shows. Yes. And usually the live ones are terrible they usually are remember sound of music yes and I, so that's why i never watched them yeah but this one i mean i didn't watch the whole thing but for the clips that i saw was really good yeah mm, so you might be checking it out while you're cooking yeah she did amazing mm -hmm. yeah i think it was the best live because there's no room to edit you can't go back and edit did I already say out loud if Taraji P. Henson was in it? Yes, you did. Yeah. Oh. She was Mrs. Hattigan. <laughs> and I only saw her for a brief moment because it was the very end. And she came in being Mrs. Hattigan, which was in the in the original movie, was Carol Burnett. Oh. So she was supposed to be over the top. Mm -hmm. And she was like over the top. I didn't see the whole thing, but yeah. I was always, I was always turned off by Annie because I was like, enough with the orphans. Can't we just have a movie where both parents are still alive? Jeez. And because Annie knew that her parents were going to come back for her. They yeah. put her in the orphanage. The parents are still alive. Oh. Her parents are alive. They're just shitty. Oh. Oh, well, I'd say I didn't know that. I thought it was. that. <laughs> I thought that it was just, you know, like Bambi, all these Disney things. Yeah, Dumbo. Yeah. No, yeah, I grew up like, watching oh. the one with Carol Burnett. Yeah, I had it on VHS, and I would watch that movie all the time. Uh, it's a hard knock, like, 
But I always said it's a hard lot life because <laughs> that's what I do. I change lyrics. I learned it from the Jay-Z song where he sampled it. I was like, this song is awesome. Oh, my God. He was like, it's from and then in college. I'm like, haven't you ever heard of Annie before? Oh, my gosh. What's wrong with you? And I'm like, I, know. I don't know. I just know the H to the Izzo. It's it's the Hove. <laughs> yeah, we didn't introduce you to musical musicals because because half your family totally hated musicals truth be told well that's so what i'm here for it. now that's right that's what that's what we have here. yeah i think that i i was able to read between the lines of which part of the family hated the musicals and i was like it's not you two <laughs> Yeah, but you know, I mean, some sometimes like when people can just sit down and play whatever they want to be able to play, I could see how like some musicals would just get on their nerves. Cause, right. Uh, you know, it was it's the the thing of like a PhD like scientist who's like, oh, look at all of this. Oh, I can't slum it. Jeez, Louise. But you know, get wow. on the other hand, get some Kenny G. <laughs> I know I'm gonna all watch of the it. Kemi G songs that they played. By the way, I like us. I never knew the names of the songs, but all the tunes. Dun, 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 and who was it that introduced you to all of them? Oh, your mama. <laughs> really? You were the Kenny G one? Yeah. Oh, I thought that it was <coughs> my dad because of the sound that he had. Because he like the, no, the, the he was, sound. he was on the side of this oh, he was isn't on the jazz. Socks? Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was the I was the smooth jazz. Oh, you mom. were the one. Yeah. Wow. Well, it does make sense, guys. If you have HBO Max, check out the. I'm gonna watch it. The Kenny G doc. Even if you think everybody that I told this week to watch it was like, Kenny G, really? Everyone's reaction to that w was that, but it is Except it me. is a great documentary. It is a lot of fun. At one point, I say to the screen, "Fuck you, Kenny G," and I just start laughing. Because he could make a perfect apple pie crust. Exactly, <laughs> that motherfucker. That motherfucker could make a perfect. And then he, and then the very next thing is he was an initial investor into Starbucks. I'm like, "Fuck you, Kenny G." <laughs> yes. <laughs> But then I his personality is his personality. He has such a great personality about it. And like what he's like. So even if you are like my dad on his side, you still can't help but be like, all right. You know, like you got a point. Right. He had something that was marketable yeah. for the middle-aged white people, white women. Loved it. And it was he, like and when, and I'm his listening to jazz. He, and he gives a great answer when he gets pressed on that. When he gets asked about that, of like if his career would have been different if he was in a different cast. It oh. is a great answer. Where you're just, I was like, I was wait, what's he gonna say? And then like to to what he says and how he says it comes about. It, I was like, you know what, Kenny G, I ain't mad at you. Props. Perhaps. Well, as soon as I finish escaping to the chateau, I will watch it. Okay. 
Okay, listeners, this was the awful truth, which off, awfully wasn't the choice of this year's movie of the year. But it was our introduction into Cary Grant becoming Cary, Cary Grant um, that we have come to love, our Cary Grant of Arsenic and Old Lace and such. And so next week we are doing... A Smoky Mountain Christmas. A Smoky, Smoky Mountain Christmas. I feel like I I watched it back. In, what year was it, Teeny? Nin- 1986. I feel like I, I was. It back I was in the womb. You were. Oh, oh unbelievable! <laughs> I was in first grade. Sometimes she really does mm-hmm. irritate me, but. I love her so much. And I'm hoping there was water in North Carolina that night. (laughs) Probably. The night I was there, I had to cross the border. I'm just saying. I feel like that this is now getting to the time where, like, if we were so musically inclined, we would do a cover of the band (laughs) song, The Night They Drove All Dixie Down. But to the night... There was no water in North Carolina, and I had to poop in South Carolina. There you go, Erin. That's the new Christmas <laughs> song. You no, got we, a couple weeks to come up with it. We already came up with a banger this year, so. You guys didn't hear it yet? Oh, my God. I did. Yeah, my, it's a banger. Well, Ma's left out in the cold again. It's Okay. Yeah, you maybe you gotta go down to Kingsbury Studios every once in a while. So that's a hard. Pass. <laughs> <laughs> that's a hard. Although it has been decluttered a touch. I'm just saying. Okay, listeners, next week because we will be here next week. Mm-hmm. A Smoky yeah. Mountain Christmas. Dolly Parton, who doesn't love? If you don't love, then you're not American. Yeah. Yeah. National treasure. You gotta love Dolly Parton. I don't care what your political already the MVP before it, like we don't even need to pick MVP. Exactly. Exactly. Dolly Parton. Exactly. We bow to Dolly Parton. Mm -hmm. There you go, listeners. Boy. Boy.